as I was listening to the song, Your love never fails. I can sing of your love forever. I couldn't help but thinking that probably I could sing of your love forever. I would believe that your love never fails, especially when everything is going just right in my life. When there's plenty of money, when I'm healthy, when the family relationships are right, when the grands are right, when the job is right, when everything is going just great in my life. And I don't believe I'm unique in this. I believe we can sing of his love forever. There's something about when things go awry, when there is a problem, you ask yourself, can you still sing of his love forever? Do you still believe that his love never fails? That's the challenge. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been in this study And last week we've been talking and we were talking about the good God. The God who is good to us. And we had some exercises that we practiced in terms of being in a place of stillness and recognizing all that that good God has done before us. All of creation, sometimes getting still to be able to see it and experience it. Today, I have the privilege and the pleasure of introducing to you the next piece. That God is trustworthy. And God is trustworthy regardless of what's happening in our lives. And I want to I take a few moments now and, 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 and just say something right at the outset. If you are not convinced that God is is trustworthy. If you are not convinced that God is trustworthy, the rest of the theology is not going to work for you. Because it's going to be a stumbling block, a place for you, because if you don't believe that he is trustworthy, then whom do you trust if you cannot trust God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity again to speak to your people, to speak to me, to speak to us from your word. God, I pray that you would now lead, guide, direct as we endeavor to understand what it means to trust our God and believe that you are the trustworthy God that the scriptures proclaim. It is in the precious and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles, it's up on the set, on the PowerPoint there. Our text today is from the book of Romans. It's a very, very, very familiar text, I think, for most people. Um, 
you've heard it or are part of it or you've heard people talk about it or mention it. And it goes something like this, 828. And we know that for those who love God, all things, watch that. Be very careful with that word. Because that's the word where a lot of us will stumble. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who raised, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's a quote from the Old Testament. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the outset, one biblical statement that we need to grasp and hold on to dearly this morning is right from Proverbs, and you already know it, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Why do I put that verse right up front? Because I've understood and I've seen it in my own life that there is a propensity, there's the tendency that if you do not trust in the Lord with all your heart, the tendency is to lean to your own understanding. In other words, you got to figure it out yourself. When you don't understand it and you don't have a trust, a wholehearted trust in God, you got to figure it out yourself. We'll be coming back to that. The point I want to make this morning, you'll hear me say it again. It's very straightforward and clear. God can be trusted through life's troubles, trials, and tragedies. Why? Because God, who is with us, is for us, and loves us. Very simple. He can be trusted regardless of what is going on in our lives. Why? Because of the trials, the trials, troubles, trials, and tragedies. doesn't matter. God is with us. He is for us. He loves us. And unless you and I grasp that and hold very dearly to that peace, we're going to have some struggles and problems. You and I have to be convinced that God is trustworthy. When the question is asked, is there anything that happens that does not work for the good of the people of God? The answer is very straightforward. 
No. All things. All things. All things. Good, bad, and all things between. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Ali. What, what, what happens when you talk about the, 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 the baby that was misused or abused or something? Or what happens when you talk about just sex trafficking, when you have little girls and, and that are taken at the age of eight and nine years old that are used and manipulated by perverted men for sex? What about ISIS and, and, and the things that they have done in terms of uh, creating terror all throughout parts of the Middle East in this world? How do you reconcile that, Pastor Ali? How does that work when you talk about the dark side of things? And, and, and either God is all-powerful and, and all-good, or either he's all-good but not all-powerful. I don't understand how that is reconciled. All things. All things. Worked for the good. Here's the problem. If our God is too small, then life's circumstances, that is the troubles and trials and tragedies, will eclipse our trust in him and leave us in in the dark questioning God's goodness. Let me say that again. If our God is too small, then life's circumstances, all the stuff that can happen to you and I in life, life's circumstances will eclipse our trust in him. Some kind of way, it'll it'll cover up our trust in him or wipe out our trust in him and leave us in the dark and we'll question God's goodness. The result is trusting in our own understanding, which inevitably, inevitably leads to fear. You see, God is about faith. Satan is about fear. And generally speaking, anytime it's about God, it always, you have to always deal with this area of faith. Please hear this, church. Because when it comes down to it, it has to be where is our faith, our faith placed? Isaiah 12, 2, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation from Isaiah 12, 2. The Lord is our strength. He is our salvation. And that's where we get our strength. This morning, I want to touch on something that I think is very key in this whole discussion about whether or not God can be trusted, whether or not God is a trustworthy God. Yes, we can say that. Yes, he is trustworthy. Of course, nobody's going to say he's not trustworthy. But no, you don't say it, but you demonstrate it in your actions, in your behavior, because we lack the faith that says, God, I trust you wholeheartedly, completely. In the Old Testament, We find the very names of God. And I'm always intrigued by how God has revealed himself in a multifaceted way through the names, the Hebrew names that were given. And one of those names is El Elyon. It means God most high. It first shows up in Genesis 14. I can't remember where, but it's somewhere in that chapter. But God most high. 
is the name given, El Elyon. Elyon means most high and is used throughout the Old Testament. It expresses the supreme sovereignty of God and majesty of God and his highest eminence, preeminence. What it says is that that God, El Elyon, is, is God over everything. Every situation, every situation, not only in this place, but in the complete world, in the universe. He is El Elyon in the world, in the universe and beyond. There is no one that is higher than he is. In in another way to translate, and I thought this was pretty good, it can be translated, God, the most exalted God. God, the most exalted God. There is none that is higher. When I talk about him and I was beginning to understand as I was getting into the study, I started to struggle a little bit because I said, God, maybe my God has been too small. And if I have failed in preaching and teaching, maybe my failure has been the fact that I have not preached the God that is much bigger than my head, much bigger than who I am. El Elyon. Is a God that superintends everything. Everything. So what? What does that mean? What we can conclude, if we truly believe that God is El Elyon, sovereign ruler over everything, then my past, my present, watch this, my past, present, and future circumstances are superintended by him, and we can trust him because he is for us. God can be trusted through life's troubles, trials, and tragedies because the God who is with us, is for us, and he loves us. We can trust him because he is with us, for us, and he loves us. He is the God who is with us. You are not alone. We are not alone. God is with us. Think about it. El Elyon. The most high God is with us. Even in the most difficult circumstances. I'm reminded. I'm reminded of those three Hebrew boys. I think it's in Daniel chapter four around there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And maybe you don't know the story. I'm not going to go through the whole story. But essentially, these three Hebrew boys were faithful to their God. But they happened to be in a place that was not friendly to their God. And the decree had gone out in this particular place in this land that simply said, you will bow down to only this God, their idol God. And there is no other God. And you can tell there was something going on behind the scenes where there was an attempt to entrap them because they they, they were worshiping God Jehovah and they were not worshiping the idol God. And then the, the word went out that anybody that fails to follow this decree will be thrown into the fiery furnace. You'll be burned. You'll be executed. 
And so the three Hebrew boys went about their regular duties, their regular activities. They had a routine of devotion and fellowship. And every day they would do their same worship and routine. They would praise their God, Jehovah. And the word got out again, and, and they, they put the decree out again and said, let, let, let's make sure you understand what's going on here. If you fail to bow down to the God that has been decreed, then uh, you will be thrown, you will be executed, you will be thrown into this fiery furnace. You'll be executed. And I like the way the three Hebrew boys responded, because it's a classic statement in terms of trust and having faith in God, as sovereign God, as God El Elyon. We hear you, and I'm using my own vernacular paraphrasing. We hear you, King. We heard the decree. But we believe that our God is able, El Elyon, is able to l- deliver us from you and from this, this execution. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. What are they saying? What what I get from that is that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were so convinced that they could trust their God that they're willing to put it all. They're saying, we're going to continue with our our worship and worshiping El Elyon because we know that God's got this. And if he chooses not to save us, that's okay. We still can't lose. Our God is able because he can be trusted. He is trustworthy. I think that's in, that's in the fourth chapter of Daniel for those that want to look that story up and read about that story. So let's look at our text this morning in chapter 8. Throughout chapter 8, just to kind of set it up a little bit, there's a conscient, consistent mentioning of the word spirit throughout the whole chapter. And so you, you get the idea that the spirit is very, very powerful in terms of what, what, what is happening here or what happens with the Christian and our way of living. And, 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 and I want to I zero in on something that's very key here because I think this is going to be the, the, the part of our text that will pull it together for us. In, in, in chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know... And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then verse 31. What shall we say to these things? Well, he just said all things work together for good. Well, He's going to list basically in 31, 33, 34, 35. He's going to kind of give this same question. In fact, I call it repeat the question because basically he's saying the same thing in different ways. The answer is the same. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's not Jesus. It's not God. Because on the contrary, we already know from the previous chapter, if you look at Romans chapter 8, actually 8 verses 39, 31 through 39, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, biblical scholars, basically says that Romans, that, that 
8, 31 to 39 is basically a summary of Romans 5 through 8, chapters 5 through 8. So the argument that Paul makes from chapter 5 in Romans to chapter 8 is basically the essence of the theology. It's the essence of where he's going with this whole thing. So that Romans 8, 31 through 39 summarizes that statement. How does he do that? How do we know that God is for us? Well, if you go back to verse chapter 5, here's how we know. You look at chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 2, and it says that we're standing in grace. Verse 6, his son died for us. Verse 8, God loved us as sinners. That is huge. Why is that huge? Because what that does is that puts us into a place where we know that we have the right standing or status before God. Because what God has done is God has looked at our situation, our condition, and he has said, okay, uh, there needs to be a savior and I'm going to send my son. His blood is going to cover the sins. And so he accepts us exactly where we're at. God loved us as sinners, verse 9, chapter 5. We are justified, verse 11. We are reconciled. Our old self has been crucified. When we get to uh, chapter 6, and then we're dead in sin to sin. We have a new status in chapter 6. It's the same story. And then in chapter 7, he used the illustration from marriage about a woman that's divorced and free and all of this kind of stuff. What is he saying? He's saying essentially that God has given us this new status. And the new status is that we are people who have been reconciled to God. That is, we were formerly enemies of God. And because of Christ, we have been brought into a place of reconciliation. We are in a, a place where God has brought us in now. We are saved. We are redeemed now. And if you know Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that means that you have at some point said, yes, I believe that. That's the story I'm sticking to. That's what I believe. I am saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You will never, ever, ever, ever grasp what it means to be trusting God and believe that God is trustworthy if you don't know him as Lord and Savior of your life. Let me tell you what happens with people. If you, here's here's how, how this plays out. If you do not trust God, then you have to trust yourself and you have to find other gods that you depend on, that you trust and what I'm suggesting is that, that once, once you move to a place of saying, God, I wholeheartedly trust you. I wholeheartedly depend on you. I wholeheartedly yield to you, your purpose, your direction for my life in everything. Once you yield to the fact that God is sovereign, then that means the past present and future. God has sovereignty. L.L. Young is sovereign over all of that. That means your past no longer haunts you. What do you mean? Because he has redeemed you. He has covered your past, every past sin, every misstep, every issue that's occurred where you were doing stuff you shouldn't have been doing. God has covered all of that in one act, in one man, through Jesus Christ, his son. What does it mean for the present? What it means in the present is that right now the Holy Spirit is indwelling and residing with us. God is with us. And he is empowering and walking with you and giving you the power to be able to do. Resist the temptations. Resist sin. What does it mean for the future? It means that we can't lose. 
Because even when our life is over with, God is still covering us because he has our eternal back. He has us eternally backed up. He has us covered eternally. So when you say, well, what, 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 what is it? What, what is it that th- this whole thing, what can separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate us? The answer is very simple. Hashtag no one, not one. Nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God. No one, nothing. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. You started off talking about this whole issue of stuff happening in your life. Let me tell you something. Things will happen in your life. Does that mean that God is not sovereign? It means no, he's still sovereign. Let me tell you how to understand this issue of sovereignty because I think sometimes we struggle with understanding sovereignty of God and trying to put it together with our free will and all this kind of stuff. And people as much smarter than I am have argued and argued and argued about, okay, well, do you have free will? Do you not have free will? And what, what is it when God is predestined and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get in that kind of a conversation now. Let me tell you, here's how you can understand it. I just discovered this. Think of it like this. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, El Elyon. Imagine yourself on a cruise ship. That cruise ship is set for a certain direction and place and port. It's already set. It's already been set up for this particular cruise. It's all these people get on the ship. Maybe you might have 2,000 folks on a ship or 3,000 folks on a ship. Each of those individuals are doing their own thing. Some are doing it together. Some are doing it individually. Somebody just wanted to take a cruise along. Somebody wanted to bring their family. But there's so many different activities people are doing on the cruise ship. Everybody is doing their own thing. At any given moment, somebody's in restrooms, somebody is working out, somebody is drinking, some, all kinds of stuff, shows, gambling, everything is going on on a cruise ship. But the direction of that ship is still moving to where it needs to go. Unbeknownst to those people, they know that they have a destination, but they still do what they're going to do on that ship. That's just like this. What God is doing is, yes, God is sovereign, but we're choosing to do, just like on that ship, we're choosing to do what we want to do during this journey. And what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that Nothing can separate us from God. Even in the midst of all the stuff, nothing can separate us from God. Sometimes we will have to go into a difficult situation. Why? Because God will permit it. Does that mean he doesn't love us? No, it doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It means that you will go through and there's something that you have not seen because you and I cannot see the whole picture. See, that's the challenge sometimes with this kind of theology. It makes us uncomfortable because we are people that want to know. We want to be able to anticipate what's happening. And God is saying, no, no. All you need to know is that I've got it. I've got your future. I've got everything covered. This is especially true when things are not going right in your life. Being able to say to God, God, I don't get it. All of a sudden, I lost the job. 
That was my dream job. My small group had been praying for it, or uh, this person that we had been praying for suddenly died, or something else happened, or I've been waiting, God, I've been waiting, I've been waiting for you, God, to move on this particular prayer. I've been praying, God, you haven't moved yet. I'm running thin on patience, God, you haven't moved yet. God, why would you allow a good person to suffer all of a sudden? to go through something that, and it seemed like the person that's evil got away. Nothing, legitimate questions. The questions that we have to frame within this whole area, God is sovereign. And God knows what's best. He knows what he needs. He knows what he needs for the future. And he's working his will out, his purpose out, regardless of us. And we may be part of that story In fact, we are part of the story. And one of the challenges we face, and it comes out in in, in the book that we're reading, The Good Good God, one of the things that we face is the fact that we have our stories. You can follow the God narrative and follow that story, or you can follow your own narrative. And most of the time when we're into difficulties and we're in trouble, we, we allow the narrative that we create in our own head to become the story. And then we, in, we start taking in fear because the story that we created can't match the story of El Elyon, the God who is sovereign over everything. And what we have to do is we have to try to figure out how do we get our story and, and hook it up to God's story so that it makes sense now. God can be trusted through life's troubles, trials, tragedies, because the God who is with us is for us and loves us. This week's soul training exercise is very simple. Very simple. The book that we're reading, you're, you're in the back of that book, after each chapter, there's a soul training exercise. And then even at the back of the book, there are questions for the small groups, if you want to use that as kind of a springboard for more discussion. But this one is simple. Count your blessings. Wait a minute, Pastor Ali. Wait a minute. You mean when all things supposedly work together for the good, and what about the things that are not going right in my life? It's easy for you to say that, Pastor, because maybe everything is great in your life right now. What about me? What about when something is not going right in my life? Things are not great. Count your blessings. That's kind of a smug kind of an answer. No, no. Count your blessings. Because I would submit that the times when I have me, speaking about me now, the times when I have zeroed in on my issues and my problems and and I had become consumed by my own problems and issues and stuff, all of a sudden God was less trustworthy because that situation that I was dealing with kind of took on life by itself. But the moment I began to focus on God and stopped focusing on the situation and saying, God, you know what? I thank you. I praise you for this. I praise you for having a job for 31 years. I praise you for health and strength. It's not perfect health, but I'm still able to get around God. I praise you for my wife and for my daughters and for my son. I thank you, God, for having a home. There are folk that don't have a home. I know of a person right now that is homeless and looking for a home. Count your blessings. And so this exercise, this soul training exercise, is meant to give you an opportunity to do exactly that. 
Take some time this week and just get a pencil and piece of paper and just write down what are all the things that God has blessed you with. If we seriously reflect on all the blessings we've been given, we're reminded that God is truly good and is trustworthy even in the challenges of life. What am I saying? We don't have to sweat it. Doesn't mean that the problem goes away or the trial or the tribulation or whatever it is. No, it doesn't go away. But all of a sudden, when you begin to count how God, good God is, and we already know God is good, and count how much the good God has blessed us over the years and is blessing us even in the midst of trials, you're able to figure out that, God, you're, you, you're, you're trustworthy. You're trustworthy. You are trustworthy. I think I've shared this before, and if I have, forgive me, but I'm going to share it again. But I think it's very appropriate right now. I'll never forget this. I'll take this to my grave. A pastor friend of mine who was 54 years old at the time passed about this time last year. And I was standing at his bedside at Stanford Hospital, D32, ICU. And I remember the doctors had basically told him that the condition that he has is, is there's no cure. There's nothing you can do that he, he was going to expire. And they had figured it out down to you probably won't last beyond the next, next four weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you'll be gone. And they had been waiting to break the news to him, and finally they, they told him and told the family, and there I was. I was standing there after he had been told. He was lying there, the monitors all around going and this thing on his finger monitoring and he's, I'm standing there and all these various monitors around and I was trying to figure out what do I say to him. And then it occurred to me, he's a child of God like me. And I looked at his face and he had a smile on his face. I said, brother, why are you smiling? He says, you know. He says, I know, I know where I'm going. And I'm covered. And I trust God. That's what we teach and preach. That's what I've been teaching and preaching all these years, Pastor. That we trust God. And so now I get to live it out on the other side. He never stopped smiling until the day that he expired. Can God be trusted? El El Yong is the God that can be trusted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. For being the trustworthy God that you are. We can depend on you. Even in our struggles and our challenges, we can depend on you. We know that some kind of way these things, all things do work together for good. In life and even in death. Because your purpose is far much more than we can ever imagine or think. Thank you, God. Thank you for being our most high. 
the God whom we trust. In Jesus' name, amen.